God be with you. We still doing all right? We're still here? So I don't know if you find this crazy. I, I, I certainly find it crazy. But we have just two more weeks until Lent. Gasps from everyone. <laughs> Easter is extremely early, th- early this year, so it does feel like we're jumping into Lent a bit earlier than usual. Uh, so what the plan is up until we get to Lent, uh, I thought we'd roll with the lectionary for the next two weeks. And the lectionary, for those of you who, who might be new to the world of church, it's a, a schedule of Bible readings that churches around the world rumble with each week. And I thought we'd roll with the lectionary for a couple of reasons. One, it's a really helpful way to surrender to the scripture passages. And it can be really easy as churches and certainly as preachers to just go through the Bible and, and pick the ones that we like the best and just preach on them all the time. But part of the beauty and magic of the lectionary is it forces us to surrender to the message messages within the scripture, to let them read us as much as we read it and see what happens within the community. We'll also be doing it because I think the next two weeks of passages lead us into some really important questions and conversations that we need to wrestle with as not only as humans, but also as the church. And this morning, one of the questions and the issues that the passage that you guys just heard asks us is why Jesus? Why follow this guy? Why his faith and spirituality, of all the other things we could do on a Sunday morning and different ways we could follow, why Jesus? And so to help us answer those questions, we're going to try, bold, underline, italicize, try to pull a few ideas that have been kicking around in my head and put them together and see where it goes. And so today we're going to talk about what I do on Saturdays at 11.30 a.m., or the thing that will make sense later on today. We'll talk about Jesus' first day on the job, and then we'll end off, I think, talking about how to hold things. Sound okay? All right. Uh, But before we get into that, let's bow our heads and we'll say a prayer. Uh, So God, who is with us? We're here this morning because we know you lead us into a fullness of life. And we need you to speak to us. We need you to guide us. We need you to shape us. So you know what's going on in our lives, in our worlds. You know why we're here. So I ask that you take these words of mine, speak through them, under them, around them. Do whatever you need to do to draw us deeper into that life. So God, I ask that you do your thing. Amen. So if I can make it happen, one of the things that I really enjoy making room for at 11.30 a.m. every Saturday is listening to CBC's Under the Influence with Terry O'Reilly. Does anyone know that radio program? Oh, some of you guys do. CBC fans, right on. Uh, For those of you who don't, it's a a program on marketing, on branding, and advertising, and, and I really dig it. I love it because it not only helps people be media literate and help us navigate this really dangerous consumer culture that we live in, I like it because it gives me all kinds of ideas that I fancy putting into sermons, Uh, but also because it's my job to help promote and brand and market the church. Um, It gives me all all kinds of ideas on how to do exactly that. 
And long, long time ago, there was this one episode where someone on the program asked the host, what are his pet peeves about marketing and branding? And Terry O'Reilly said the thing that really drives him up the wall are bad mottos and slogans. Because slogans and mottos, those little bylines we see underneath the name of the companies or here on the commercials, he explained how they're meant to do one thing. They're meant to convey the meaning behind the product. They're meant to give the why behind the company. They're meant to capture the deeper purpose behind the product or group or whatever it is. And O'Reilly would explain how these things are as pet peeves because every company, every business, every organization, whatever it is, should already know the why behind its products and be able to clearly express it. And to give us an idea of just what he's talking about, about the bad slogans that drive from up the wall, um, I went back, listened to the episode, and I found a few of the ones that he mentioned, and I went out and found a couple myself. And so we'll get the first one. Carl's Jr., the burger joint. If it doesn't get all over the place, it doesn't belong in your face. I definitely want a burger that falls all over the place and that does not end up in my face. Nina's photos. I shoot people and pets. Well, go back. Hold on, Martin. I shoot people and pets. <laughs> it's just enough said. This one's my favorite. Okotoks. There are a number of things to do here. We lost count around five, so we're just going to put a number of things to do in Okotoks. Uh, but churches are also um, liable for really bad slogans. Um, I didn't give the name of it. Um, this church, a busy and thoughtful place. I'm looking for a really busy church. I want a place that's just as tired and wired and fed up with life as I am. That's the kind of place I want to go to. Yes, you really convey wanting to go there. Another church, the, the liberal religious alternative. Are you the alternative to the liberal religious, or are you the libus? Which one are you? I don't really know. And then my favorite of all the church ones, a congregation of the United Church of Canada. Exactly. So O'Reilly's got a point, doesn't he? They don't say much, and if they say anything, it's confusing, it leaves us in silence, and we don't really know what to do with it. So there's a reason why we need to have good branding and good marketing. There's a reason why we as a church spend an entire year figuring out our own slogan and motto. And that reason is really simple, because it matters. It helps communicate the heart of what you're all about. So why talk about this? Where are we going with it? Well, because there is a story in the Bible. And it's a story that Ken just read to us. And it is a story of Jesus' very first day on the job. Mark begins his gospel not with a story of Christmas, but with Jesus' first day at work with his first day of stepping out into the life and work that he'd become famous for. Which you would think would be this grand occasion, right? I mean, it's starting to happen. 
the one who is God with us and for us, the one who's going to save us into a new way of being human and alive in this world, the one who will show us what God is like in the deepest and most personal of ways, the one who liberates and restores, he's here. Jesus is on the move. He's starting to do his thing. This is a day of cosmic significance. So you would think, you would even expect, with all that divine energy about the burst on the scene, that he'd enter into Jerusalem with trumpets and fireworks, that jets would be riding, the Messiah is here in the sky, the rockets would be dancing on a barge floating down the Jordan River, Aretha Franklin would be singing him down the street, it would be pulling out all the stops. I mean, of course he would. This kind of beginning deserves that. But that's not how Mark begins his gospel, is it? No. Instead of all of that, Mark has Jesus entering into this backwater, far-out-of-town place with no fanfare whatsoever, saying only this. God has come near, so change how you're living and believe. God has come near to us, so change how you're living and believe. Now the question we should be asking, because it certainly seems like Mark wants us to ask it, is why begin with this? And of all the ways that Mark could begin his gospel, why is this the first thing that Jesus says publicly? Why this? Why these words? What is Mark doing? And it's here we remember that Mark is trying to do something. This is Mark's gospel. He's got a story to tell. He's trying to convey something particular about Jesus to a particular group of people in a particular time. And so we ask, what is he up to? What is he trying to set up by beginning his gospel with this? God has come near to us, so change higher living and believe. What Mark is doing is letting us know right off the bat the heart and why of Jesus. He's letting us know just what Jesus and his movement are going to be all about. And within that, he's offering us a very important truth about the kind of faith and spirituality that he just invited those fishermen into. Are you with me so far? So before we can get into all of that, I think it could be helpful for us to get this. There is a certain way to hold things. When it comes to things in our lives and our world, whether it be our relationships, wealth, status, love, health, politics, the Bible, whatever it is, there's a certain way we're meant to hold them. Which is to say there's a certain way they're meant to be carried and used. There's a way that we can use them that draws us deeper into life. And there's a way we can carry and use them that take us away from life. And I think this is certainly true of faith and spirituality. Because one of the ways we tend to think about faith and spirituality, which is to say our connection with the divine mystery and our connection to it, one of the ways we think about that is it's all about getting God to come to us. And because we often see it as getting God to come to us, faith and spirituality become all about doing what it takes to make that happen. It becomes struggling to not just believe, but be certain about certain things. 
about trying to not just think and act, but be certain ways. About having a checklist that we have to go down and make sure every little box of giving, connecting, getting involved is checked off perfectly. It becomes about trying to ensure that we've done, are doing, and are enough to bring God near to us. Which then shapes how we're meant to hold the thing, doesn't it? Because it's all about trying to ensure God's presence with us, we hold it pretty tightly. We clench our fists around it, and we need to control it because the outcome is just too big to mess up. And now if a marketing agency came to us here at Red Deer Lake and asked us to figure out a brand or a slogan, a motto for that kind of faith and spirituality, maybe we'd come up with something like this. Believe, change how you live, and then God will come near. Believe, change how you live, and then God will come near. That's pretty catchy. Because the heart of it, and this will be a good motto, the heart of it, of it becomes about earning our way into the loving and gracious presence of God. Because that's what it's all about, isn't it? Anyone know that kind of faith and spirituality? Anyone ever run into that one? Any of you guys ever, ever hold it? Yeah, I have. A big part of my life was right, that right there. And it's so pervasive that almost the whole general understanding we have in our culture about religion is this. Believe, change, and then God will come near. And if we all have held that faith in spirituality, if that's the assumption our culture makes about it, Maybe that's why Mark begins his gospel the way he does. Because he knew, just like I discovered and just like you guys discovered, that this way of understanding and holding our faith and spirituality doesn't really work, does it? Not only does it just lead to a life of anxiety, guilt, and shame, of never knowing if it's enough, of always having to be on the offensive, of always having to do more and more and more to ensure God's presence with us, but it also, and more to the point, is exactly the opposite of the kind of faith and spirituality that Jesus invites us into. Mark begins the gospel the way he does with giving us Jesus' motto and slogan because it reveals to us the answer to why Jesus and shows us the kind of faith and spirituality that he's offering. And it needs to be mentioned right off the bat, the very first thing, because it is a brand new way of understanding faith and spirituality. It's a brand new way of understanding what our connection with God looks like. God has come near to us, so change how you're living and believe. Martin, we'll get to the next slide, please. At the heart of the faith and spirituality of Christ is a truth that not only changes how we understand what we're doing, but also changes how we hold it. God has come to us, not because we did something right, not because we believe with enough certitude, and not because we gave enough money or got involved in all the right programs, but because God wanted to, because we are worth it, 
Because out of extravagant and indiscriminate love, God has come down to be with us and for us. The faith of Jesus, our connection with the divine, begins not with a pressure to believe and change, but with a love that has come near. And here's the thing about that. If it begins with love, how we hold it changes. Suddenly we don't have to hold it so tightly because the whole thing isn't about controlling the outcome because the outcome, God coming near, it's already happened. And so we're able to let go a bit because the whole thing is about letting that love guide us forward into this never-ending journey of letting that love shape and color everything we are and everything we do. God has come near, so change how you're living and believe. That's the heart of Jesus. That's what this is all about. Love is here. It's already come near. So behold it. Hold it and follow it as it changes everything. So as we sing this last song, what we're going to practice, we're going to practice holding it. We're going to hold it loosely. So if it works for you, I invite you to literally hold it, to feel it, to recognize that it's not about changing who you are so God comes near. It's not about believing all the right things so God comes near. It's not about earning it, but it's about embracing it, embracing a love that has already come to be with you and for you, and letting that love pull you into new ways of living, new ways of thinking, new ways of believing, the love that shapes the world around us and transforms everything. So as we head out from this place today, this time's for you to follow that love and let it change how you see, how you think, how you are, and pull you into new ways of being human and alive in this world. And to this faith of Christ, to this gift that we are giving, we all say, Amen.